Welcome to episode 113 of the Canadian Prepper Podcast. We are recording April the 18th, 2021. My name is Eric, I'm the host of the show, based in southern Ontario. I'm a hunter, target shooter, ham radio operator, and computer geek. As a first responder, I witnessed an over-reliance on emergency services during major events, started a small preparedness company to help people get better prepared for at least 72 hours, if not longer. My name is Ian, I live on Vancouver Island. I'm a student in preparedness, target shooter, and my farm's designated mediocre handyman. I'm Alan, I'm a safety trainer, first responder, security expert, and overall safety nerd. I'm Scott, I'm a paramedic, I split my time between southern and northern Ontario, and I don't believe things will always carry on as they have, simply because I want them to. If you want to help support the show and keep the Canadian Prepper Podcast on the air, buy some swag. We have both the Canadian Prepper Podcast t-shirt and the super wicked awesome Velcro patch at prepperpodcast.ca. All proceeds help keep the lights on and the backup generator fueled. All right, if you're enjoying the show, please take a few minutes, like us on Facebook, some interview on iTunes. Also, we want your feedback, good or bad, or if there's just a topic you want us to cover. You can email us at feedback at prepperpodcast.ca. Right, so we've got some uh, Frontiersman content for you in this episode. Oh, the dad jokes just carry on. Terrible. <laughs> <laughs> We're going to start off with some preparedness-related news articles, probably something to do with COVID. Uh, next, let you know what we've done for our preparedness since the last episode, then we're going to get into the main topic. And it's not licking our own eyeballs, Ian. Actually, I didn't do that one. <laughs> well, whoever did it. If you want to do that, you don't do it on the show. That's another podcast somewhere else. <laughs> Let's move into the news. Uh, blah, 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 COVID, blah, blah, blah. Welcome to Ontario, where no one knows the rules and the points don't matter. <laughs> Yeah, I did enjoy that show. So, so, so it is, it is constitutional. It's not constitutional. I'm it, lost it's now. Unconstitutional. It, it's unconstitutional to stop people at random. However, they're still in violation of the law. But we're not actually going to stop people. But you still can't do it. But we don't really know how to apply this, and so we're going to wait for direction from somebody else. And somebody else's direction says, "Well, this is probably going to have to go to court." Don't go outside. Have a really good reason to go outside. Hair fewer wants you to carry your papers. Yeah, that's peace. Yeah, well, I would like to say things are way better out here, but uh, yeah, not so much. Since last week, I jinxed it by by saying on Patriot that BC was the least communist province in the country currently. Um, yeah, not so much. Anyway, so we jinxed it for everybody else. <laughs> yeah, so BC's premier literally was on on record, and he got interviewed and said, "Hey, do you have any plans to restrict travel like Ontario?" He goes. It, like, literally, he's pounding the desk. He's like, I would never restrict travel to people. I don't like the fact that some people are traveling to Vancouver Island and back when they don't need to, but I w I'm not that kind of guy. I wouldn't do that. 72 hours later, he literally says, okay, we got to start doing some interprovincial travel restrictions and kind of prevent people from going to the island. And like, Ho Hold on. A politician lie? <laughs> it's like almost Whoa. like it, anything that's in the news, you really take the exact opposite, and that's pretty much how it turns out to be. So, yeah, yay, BC. Um, I, I, all I can say is at this point it's just gotten ludicrous. Like I, I don't, I can't even keep up with it. But See, the, the the challenge is that nobody's willing to admit that what they've done hasn't hasn't worked. And I, I mean, I'll I'll be the first one to say it. I made hundred bucks this week because I I bet a couple of people that construction would be the next industry affected. It's the only one that hadn't been shut down in Ontario. And I said it. They're running out of things to close down. So they're gonna have to pick on somebody else next. Three days later, here we go. Still confused right. how South African variant and Indian variant, double Indian variant, that's the newest one, and uh, what's the UK variant and all that stuff. That's all perfectly cool, but if you say 
I'm going to get kicked off YouTube again. Wuhan virus, that's racist. Yeah, there we go. We're booted. <laughs> Take that, algorithms. It's been great, guys. But, um, yeah, so catch us on tour next week. <laughs> no, I, I just, I'm laughing at the ludicrousness of all the... It's just... Anyway, neither here nor there. They just don't know what to do, so they're going to keep doing it over and over again. Yeah. What's the definition, definition of insanity again? Einstein's definition of insanity, doing the same thing over and over again, expecting a different result. Yep. Uh, yeah. Uh, yeah, my news article is the same thing. Lockdowns, rules, recanting on rules, new rules. Um, oh, yeah, they're allowing people um, 40 and above now to get AstraZeneca against any kind of uh, advice. But Listen, well, social really media has told me that yeah. COVID vaccines are tested and con- considered completely safe. Social media said it. It's, it's right on the banner. Well, and if you true. click on that banner, it tells you that the government tells us it's safe and therefore it's okay. Well, there we go then. And they've never been yeah. wrong before. And since the government, <laughs> since the government tells us it's okay, it must be okay. Clearly. <laughs> stepping stepping away from COVID for a second, made some ham radio contacts. I know it's shocking for me. It's really really odd. Um, was actually <laughs> able to make contact with a station in Ireland on just a hundred watts in a wire. So. That was uh, was cool. Nice, clear contact as well. Good signal reports. We had a good little chat, and uh, I was quite happy with uh, with being able to do that with, uh, yeah, just a hundred watts of wire. That's quite impressive. Add that in there. Yeah. There's actually like a commercial news. radio station that broadcasts <laughs> from my area, and because of the power and the location of the tower, they actually they hit Ireland something like nine months out of the year, yeah. and so they have to they have to specify that they're transmitting from our city in Ontario, not from our city in the UK. Oh, well then. <laughs> they have a pretty decent fan base in Ireland. Yeah. There you go. Uh, my article, uh, it's, I've actually read a couple of them, just talking about the shortage of shipping containers uh, in terms of global commerce, adding problems to supply chains, increasing costs, shipping costs, uh, and making them harder to get for doomstead use, for example. Um, just because things keep coming to North America and normally boats will go back full of empty containers, but uh, the, the numbers have all skewed, so so much more has come here and it's caused all sorts of problems. And um, mm. yeah, I guess when you close the Suez Canal for a week... Uh, <laughs> Is there a way that we can... Are you sure to go for this? Uh, I'm, I'm sure this is true. Yeah. I think you just blamed them. <laughs> Thanks, Trudeau. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Shall we move into what we've done lately for preps? Yeah, let's go for it. All right. So I uh, did some generator maintenance, got the uh, oil all swapped around, and uh, spark plugs done, and all that good stuff. Uh, of course, while doing that, I had to have some essential beers. And uh, Jeff, who's been on the, uh, the panel a few times, had to, to come by and, and make sure that those essential beers were, were correctly uh, consumed. So appreciate the assistance and the, the essential trip that was made to consume said beers. Um, they also did the oil and plugs and a few other toys, the lawn tractor, snow blower. So it's totally my fault when it snows next week because I was just putting it away. Um, hey, it's going to happen. So. And uh, signed up for a can-worn training. So that's coming uh, May the 4th. So they're doing uh, some training, which is just uh, ham radio operators that uh, keep an eye on the weather and then start reporting on it if uh, something comes up. 
Is that like in place of the, I won't call them NOAA, but Transport Canada or Coast Guard radio stations not working or something? No, it's always been a thing. Uh, it's oh. always been, it's just a, a net that gets set up when um, adverse weather starts to form and they just start blasting out the information in the affected areas. So it's uh, just a handful of trained hams that hop on and say, hey, some weird clouds are coming in. You're probably going to see some bad weather. And then as it does start to come in, they start talking about what's happening and what's going on and, and where they are and what they're seeing. And that gets spread across the entire area. So, Is it part of an ARIES system of ham radio operators, or is it kind of separate but a little bit of overlap, the same enthusiasts? I think I'm going to find that out in the training. <laughs> I look forward to hearing about it. <laughs> That's the fanciest way of yeah. saying I don't know ever. <laughs> I'm, I'm good at that. I'm almost politician level there, aren't I? That's pretty good. That's a great a question. Few, I'm glad you asked. <laughs> a few less ums and ahs, though. Yeah, good work on that. <laughs> All right, as for myself, uh, mostly house maintenance this week, uh, playing with roofs and doing other random stuff. Uh, yeah, trying to get to Home Depot. But of course, the shortage is there too. Uh, everywhere I go, it seems like even Canadian Tire is after rubber boots. Canadian Tire, no rubber boots. I'm like, they're made in Canada, for goodness sake. But anyway, uh, shortages galore. Uh, now, not so much related to preparedness, kind of sort of practicing gear and maybe practicing skills. I uh, picked up my hunting license because uh, as of April 1st, they come due again here in uh, BC. I don't know about Ontario. Um, but it just so happens that April 1st is also bear season. If that's... Uh, you guys still, still hear me, right? Yep, we got you. Okay. Um, anyways, yeah, so it's also bear season as of April 1st. And interestingly enough, with the hunting regs this year, for the very first time, they mentioned feral hogs in BC. Uh, no bag limit, no closed season. So, interesting. Yeah. Well, well. Yeah. Um, my bug out trailer, actually, the flat four wiring on it uh, crapped out. So, basically, I had to replace that uh, just because I want to make sure that's in working order. So, nobody stops me for, you know, suspected COVID violations or something and with a burnt out light or something. So, I just want to make sure the bug out trailer was good. I uh, did a range trip with the daughter, um, in which case, I caught hell from some of the local uh, range people for quote unquote rapid fire with the 22 because we used up our 10-round <laughs> magazine in, in less than a minute. And I was like, you know, if you're trying to encourage the next generation to be interested in this, maybe you shouldn't suck all the fun out of it. Anyway. Or, I don't know, mind your own business. <laughs> yeah, I was like, rapid fire with a 22. Is there any other way to plink? Like, uh, I'm sure I didn't take five minutes between shooting at the metal silhouettes, but... There was there was a club there was a club local to me here and they had a rule that you had to have a, a minimum of three seconds between each shot, and that was um, that was enough for me to not join. Oh, anyway, uh, while I was there though, did some brass scrounging, and lo and behold, more shortages. Uh, everybody is scrounging brass right now and can't find very much. But luckily, uh, the local constabulary is shooting at the other range and not picking up their brass because they're afraid of catching COVID off somebody else's brass. So I'll be going there tomorrow to scrounge over there and hopefully see if I can get anything more. Um, yeah, so did an oil change on the Jennies and the splitter. So uh, while I was doing that and giving them all test runs and stuff, I realized that a, the splitter is still in the original spark plug from like four years ago. That was bad. It had rust on it. And I didn't have a backup spark plug for one of my generators. So had to go to Canadian Tire again. And lo and behold, shortages. <laughs> they, they actually were out of spark plugs at Canadian Tire. I'm like, this is kind of your, your bag, baby. I, I had the same problem. They just didn't have the spark plug from our generator. And it kind of scared me. Yeah. And I was like, oh, man. So I actually had to hunt around for an extra generator spark plug and found it. So that's all good. Um 
fine-tuned my chirp programming. Again, this doesn't sound overly preparedness-wise, but under the guise of testing your gear. Um, trying to program out but my Balfang, I was importing stuff from uh, Radio... Not Radio World. What's it uh, called? Uh, Radio Reference. Radio Reference. There you go. Um, and all the imported data I got from it was wrong. And so I couldn't figure out why I wasn't getting any connections with these repeaters. And sure enough, like either, either like the privacy tone or the frequency was off by like 0.25 or something. And I was like, well, no wonder nothing's working. So I was comparing it against uh, my repeater book app and I am, am having to manually enter a bunch of stuff. And then all of a sudden, lo and behold, yeah, I could hear fine. And uh, actually for the first time, I made my first real contact, uh, you know, from somebody that wasn't like right beside me. And uh yeah, I got a 57-mile connection uh, off one of the repeaters over in Vancouver overlooking the city there, which is pretty awesome. Um, nice. So, yeah, I was thoroughly impressed with that. I did build uh, something to help kind of amp up the Balfang's uh, performance. Uh, Eric knows what I'm talking about, but it's called a counterpoise, which is basically just like a glorified extended negative lead off your uh, your radio and uh, amped up the, the signal strength quite a bit for the old uh, Balfang, which was good. Uh, so that was a bit of a learning experience because uh, I had to get the length right. And then, uh, yeah, so just said, test your gear, because even when you program it with Chirp, it might still not, might not work, you know, but uh, did some wood stacking for the, the firewood on the acreage here, uh, just continuing to kind of do that a couple loads at a time. Last but not least, uh, fuel rotation. I rotated about half my gas just because it was coming up on that time. So I figured before my lockdown happens, I might as well get that done. That's it. Fair enough. Are you sure that's, that's it? I I could take another couple minutes if you want, but no, I think it's good. I, I think it's a short list this week, yeah. Yeah. Uh, sorry. Jeez. <laughs> <laughs> uh, my list is significantly shorter. Uh, did a lot of working, a lot of training. Um, stocked the pantry this week with more than we normally would, just to be on the safe side, so that we don't have to go outside in case hair fear decides that uh, decides that we're too dangerous to be allowed to roam free. It, which led into a conversation about what our what our actual bug out plan is the point at which we decide that we're no longer staying in the area. So we, we had a had a discussion about that. Uh, ran into some radio troubles trying to get things installed uh, because well radio and the internet don't seem to go so well together. So had to order a few more parts and thanks special thanks to Eric for talking me through that. Was that yesterday? Uh, I think it was yesterday, yeah. Yesterday or Friday, one of those days. Well, I think it was yesterday. Yeah. And uh, I stayed all bashed cable. together. There you are. Um, Still need that trip cable, and then once I get my my parts in, I will be able to actually install the radios in my vehicles, and we can we can run a test, and hopefully I'll be able to yeah. get it out at some kind of reasonable uh, reasonable quality. So that was that was my week. Nothing terribly exciting. Oh, the uh, listener comments they forgot to mention. I forgot to mention that yes, today's just rounded out about an hour ago it was uh, International Ham Radio or Amateur Radio Day. Uh, it was like from 5 sure p.m. Is. my time to 5 p.m. my time today. Uh, yeah, so that's what kind of spurred me to kind of really try and make contact. So, yay. <laughs> but, Go you, Ian. Go yeah. You. Yay. Happy Ham Radio Day. It was. It was a good day. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah. Uh, for my preps, uh, I actually had a Generlink installed a week or two ago. Uh, I didn't get to do a test run until just this week, uh, and I'm really quite pleased with it. Um, it's it's a lovely device that plugs uh, between your meter and the box on the side of your house that you can plug your generator in, so it powers all of the circuits from your generator as opposed to rewiring your house and having to choose which circuits you do. Um, 
So that uh, turned out quite well. And I'm very pleased with that. Uh, and then I had a couple of empty jerry cans. Uh, so I filled up my fuel stores just uh, just in case. Very nice. All right. Shall we move into the main topic? Well, wilderness first aid. Um, so a couple of questions that Ian put out is the difference between the standards for wilderness first aid and standard first aid. So um, standard first aid generally is intended for an urban environment where help is coming in just a few minutes. You know, you've called 911 and you just have to sit put and be the bridge between an injury and somebody like Scott showing up and doing the real work. Sometimes. Um, wilderness application for, for a wilderness standard to apply, uh, we're gen we're talking about being 50 kilometers or more from an urban area. So there's there's some travel involved in getting to uh, getting to a place where an ambulance can come get you. The intent or kind of the 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 results of that is that we're prolonging some of the interventions that we're doing, and we're changing some of our priorities. So one of the things that we do differently is CPR. Um, Standard first aid, you get on the chest, you start doing compressions, you do CPR, two minutes, staying alive, couple of breaths, 30 compressions, two breaths, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, out, in the out in the woods, if you are more than uh, more than half an hour from help, don't bother. It's, it's possible, theoretically, to keep somebody alive for longer than that, but you've got to have a, a team of people and you generally have to be able to move at the same time. And it's, it's difficult to maintain effective compressions while moving a person. Um, so one of the, the, the takeaway from that would be to keep somebody like to evacuate somebody sooner rather than later in the event that they're experiencing um, some kind of cardiac emergency. Other things that we need to pay attention to lifts and carries. You're more likely to have to move somebody than to sit, than, than to, than to sit around and wait for an ambulance to show up. Usually when when I teach a standard first aid class, I say, don't bother putting a splint or a sling on a, on an, on a limb because EMS is going to show up and they're just going to take it off anyways to, to look at it themselves. So if you don't have to move somebody, don't bother. In this case, we're assuming that you're going to have to, so you're, you're going to have to figure out how to move that person. What that looks like is going to depend on who you are, where you are, how many people you have with you, but you're probably going to have to build yourself a stretcher, which is kind of fun. It's a great little exercise. And, fold the tarp over a couple of poles and duct tape it together and tape the person to the, to the stretcher and off you go. There are a few other ways to do it as well, but you'd have to take the full course to, to go through that. It's that, that. That particular module of the class is a couple of hours on its own. Uh, uh, one of the things, my takeaways from wilderness first aid is there's a lot of MacGyvering involved. Absolutely. You know, you can carry a hundred pounds of first aid equipment on your hike, but that doesn't leave a whole lot of room for anything else you can carry two pounds of first aid equipment and a whole lot of knowledge and ingenuity um, yep. and sort of figure out how to accomplish the, the goal with stuff from around the campsite, et cetera. And here I thought you were going to mention like a bunch of like emergency tracheotomies with the Swiss army knives or something. I thought what it was, was just going to be carry a pen, stick it in the throat. You're good. <laughs> what was that? That was mash, right? It was an episode of mash where you had to do the, the, yeah. the, the, yeah. the chaplain had to do it in the field and, like take the pen and cut it off, and um, there, like, there's a there's a time and a place to do that. I wouldn't want to, you know, I wouldn't want you know the dirty woods in my pocket knife to be the time to figure that out. Um, but that's uh, 
um, one of the probably the biggest concern for me anyways and depending on the time of year is going to be environmental issues um, hypothermia will kill someone will, will kill someone pretty quickly in general and that gets exponentially faster as someone becomes as someone has, has suffered trauma um, so one of the one of the things um, I see a comment on Facebook about uh, essential items to carry. Um, that's a great question. So add a few. So a few more things to add. So your, your general first aid kit, your your uh, your gauze pads and your band aids are, are probably the the most um, the most effective uh, or the most common things you're going to need. Throw a few extra triangular bandages into into your kit. Uh, triangular bandages are great for holding splints together. They're great for making slings. They're great for uh, you can turn it into a pelvic binder if you really need to, although if somebody needs a pelvic binding, you're not walking them out of the woods. But uh, you've got a few you've, a few extra triangular bandages will not hurt anything, and they're lightweight and they're really compact. You need a tarp. A tarp can be used to drag somebody. A tarp can be used to make a stretcher. A tarp can be used to make a burrito wrap, a hypothermia burrito, that will help keep somebody warm. And in general, will provide good shelter and I think we've done an entire episode just on tarps and that's uh, that's a, that's a uh, you have to have a tarp there's no question about it um, at least an 8 by 12 would be probably a good one um, you need duct tape and this is my permission for everybody to carry lots and lots of duct tape wrap it around cards wrap it around your knife handles wrap it around your water bottles if you're not carrying a hundred feet of duct tape when you go off-road frankly you deserve what you get it's uh, you can you can turn it you can turn it you can use duct tape for splinting you can use duct tape for bandaging duct tape is waterproof duct tape will you can use duct tape to support a strain or sprained limb you can use that to make a uh, to make a sling you can use it to stabilize a dislocated joint it, it's good for absolutely everything treat blisters absolutely you can treat and prevent blisters with it I was uh, that's a little bit further down in my notes but it's a great thing for preventing blisters because it prevents rubbing um, so you need duct tape you need um, you need a tarp, you need uh, a small saw and a good knife. So a multi-tool is perfect for that. Um, the best, the best poles you can find to make a stretcher with or a, or make a sling are small diameter, small diameter trees. So wrist thick or a little bit less, but you can't cut that down with, without a, without a small saw. Um, a few extra things to add to your kit, throw in some painkillers, depending on how far you're going or what you're doing. Um, naproxen, ibuprofen, acetaminophen are the basics. So naproxen is a general analgesic. Ibuprofen is an anti-inflammatory. You use that when, somewhat, when something is swollen or inflamed. And acetaminophen is, is a good analgesic, but it's also good for treating fevers. If you're gonna be going way off-road, you might be able to talk your doctor into prescribing something with a little more kick but make sure you're being accurate with the dosages based on the person that is taking them. Um, Ian and I are rather different in size. If I give Ian my dose of something of the, of the good stuff, uh, it's going to send Ian into a, into a real tizzy. And conversely, if I, or if at least I take into it, rehab, yeah. <laughs> but conversely, if, if I get Ian's dose of, um, of, of something, it's probably not going to be anywhere near as effective as it could be. So it's important to, to, to make sure that you understand your dosing if you're going to do that. Now, one thing to note, unless it's changed in the last couple of years, you can actually buy Tylenol with codeine over the counter. Uh, if you go back to the pharmacy of like the pharmacy counter of whatever drugstore you're in and ask for it, it's right there. Uh, it's not as strong as you would get in a prescription, but it does have a little bit more, um, a little bit more 
uh, power to it than what you would, what else you would what you would otherwise get. You want some body powder? Um, Gold Bond is one brand of that. There are a, there are a hundred out there. Um, it's great for everything that uh, anything that rubs together that may become painful, blistered, chafed, rashed, whatever it may be. Um, put some powder on it. Keep it dry. That also goes along with preventing blisters. We talked about duct tape for that. Also doubling up your socks and don't wear cotton. Uh, keep your feet dry. It's the old uh, the old army uh, um, army cliche of change your socks, take some Advil, carry on. Um, it's effective. It'll do. It'll that, that'll that'll get you through a lot of stuff. Um, <laughs> um, you definitely want some kind of. Um, some kind of polysporin. Again, that's one brand. I'm not advocating a specific brand, but uh, it's essentially Vaseline in a, or petroleum jelly in a tube. When some when, when you have a wound, an open wound, a cut in a, uh, a cut on your hand or your arm or wherever, uh, if the edges of that cut dry out, it won't heal properly. And as the skin dries out, it will it will the, the scarring will end up deeper down, and you and just won't heal right. So um, a little bit of polysporin on top of that will seal in the moisture, keep the edges from drying out, and you'll have a better um, you'll have a better time with with healing. It will also help prevent um, prevent infiltration of, of outside pathogens, which will keep you from getting infected. On that note, I will say don't get too hung up on on antibacterial things. You don't need to carry alcohol swabs or heaven forbid, hydrogen peroxide, anything like that into the field. For the most part, clean water, clean running water, flush out a wound, make sure you pick out any of the guck that might be left in there. A good pair of tweezers will, will go a long way for that. Um, to, to that. Yep, go ahead. No, I was going to say to that point, it's also okay to let things bleed and let things flow out. You're, you're not going <laughs> to bleed to death if you're yeah. kind of, you know, let things get out of the wound for you know just just a minute or two, kind of milk it out. Yeah, just a few a few uh, a few seconds worth of bleeding will will clear that out really well, and then cover it over and then prevent any further infiltration. Also, again, duct tape is great if you put it over a dressing and over a bandage. Duct tape is waterproof and will keep it attached to you and will, and will keep you uh, keep you on target. Hey, um, on the subject of bleeding, guys, if you don't mind me kicking in here for one second, it's a serious question this time. Um, Use of Sealox or Israeli bandages, everything else. Prepper standard, you know, all these guys want to have that stuff handy. Is in the case of like a wilderness first aid, and you apply something like that, is there a time limit how long it can be on a wound before it really kind of needs to be kind of cleaned out or gotten rid of or just not use them? Or what's your take on that? It, it it's situational, depending on how far into the woods you are and how far away you are from evac. Um, I've, I know that a tourniquet, for example, they, the studies have shown that you can go a guaranteed two hours without any long-term damage. Um, we're always choosing life over limb, so you, we, may, we may be causing damage to an extremity, but we're choosing, uh, we're choosing to save a person's life overall. Now, those specific things, again, it's, it's all situational. If you're, if, you, if you're on Vancouver Island, you're probably, you're probably within an hour of help if you, if you press the big red panic button. Whereas if you're in the middle of the Yukon Territory, you might be days before you can get, before you can have access to help. And so depending on how far out you are, that's going to change how, 
it's going to it's going to change how readily we're we're, we're going to be able to address that. Now, with all that said, if I'm putting sealox into a wound and we're waiting for evac, even if it's a couple of days out, I'd still rather do it and take the risk because if I don't do it, you're going to die. But if I do, you might not. So I'll take the I'll take the I'll take the known. I'll take the possible advantage over the known disadvantage every time. Fair enough. Yeah, um, I, I I would agree. I think if if you're injured so badly that you're talking about tourniquets or sea locks or whatever, you're you need them. It's not like oh, well, maybe I won't bother doing this because then you're carrying a corpse out of the woods. And I mean, to Ian's point, you might be carrying a corpse out of the woods, anyways. But at least I can look. I can look, you know, my 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 hunting buddy's wife in the eyes and say I did everything I could. We did our best, and maybe it wasn't successful, but it, sure, it certainly wasn't for lack of effort. We didn't look at him and go, "Eh, he's probably not going to make it, so I'm not going to bother trying." These dressings are really expensive. Do I really want to use it? It's just going to be so inconvenient to have is, to restock it afterwards. That is too bad. They're, they're out of stock of everything, and it's a shipping delay, and the, the live chat's always busy. And it's, you know, it's, no, we're 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 going to do everything possible, and it may or may not be successful. But again, it won't be for lack of effort. Um, another thing to throw into your uh, into your med pouch is um, some antihistamines. So if you have, uh, um, I see a comment in the in the YouTube uh, about afterbite. Afterbite's good. Um, EpiPen for if you have allergies, you need at least two EpiPens if you have an anaphylactic reaction, and um, you a need at least two EpiPens <laughs> and a whole lot of Benadryl, a whole lot of antihistamines. Um, and yeah, again, they- talk with your um, um, talk with your doctor about that before you go. Make sure that uh, make sure that you know how much you can actually take. Because again, you've got the generic instructions on the package that are, you know, intended for people who are uh, twelve and up and are either one hundred and ten or four hundred pounds, but nowhere in between, or uh, you know, whatever it might be. So make sure you get specific directions from your doctor and write them down somewhere that you can find readily to be aware of what you can actually take. Because it's you know the. Um, Acetaminophen, for example, if you take too much of that, it'll shut down your uh, shut down your liver pretty quick. But how much that is is dependent on you, not dependent necessarily on what the package says. So again, talk with your doctor about it before before you before you decide that you're going to give more or less. Um, yeah. To to your point on epipens, epipen buys time for the Benadryl to kick in. Mm-hmm. So you know the the epipen. Uh, you know, if you're two days out of the hike into the woods and you know, you're, you're not going to have a hundred EpiPens with you, but if you have enough that you can get the Benadryl on board, get the Benadryl dealing with the histamine release, you're in a whole lot better shape. Even yep. if you're not allergic, Benadryl is a good thing to have because you're not allergic to something until you find out you're allergic to something. Yeah. And, and again, to that point, even if you're not sure, it's not, EpiPens don't take up a lot of space. They don't take up a lot of weight. You know, they're, they're spendy, but uh, depending on how far into the woods you're going, and depending on what the and what the hazards are, right, and what your own allergies are. So, if you've been stung by bees and wasps before, and you know you're not allergic, then maybe it's not a higher a high priority for you. Still carry Benadryl, but if you know you are, then it's worth having a couple on hand. And they are available without prescription um, if you really want it. But if you can get a script for it, then 
your benefits will cover it and it changes a little bit uh it gets, it gets a little bit less expensive for it so um important things other important things to, to to do um the hypothermia burrito or the or the burrito wrap lay down your tarp put a sleep open up a sleeping bag and then lay down a space blanket on top of that so you've got three layers put a dry person in there so no uh, no wet clothes throw a couple of heating pads armpits growing around the neck wrap that person up that will that will protect them from the wind protect them from provide some insulation from the outside world and reflect whatever heat they have back into them and that will get, and then get them up off the ground um, near fire add add heat add heat add heat um, if somebody doesn't if somebody's not generating any more heat because they're so cold um, you need to add heat to them as quickly as possible make sure they have enough calories in them to keep going lots um, of sugary delicious easy to burn calories I, I I always say that hot chocolate is your best bet for that like powdered hot chocolate if you, you make that at you know just below boiling point you get somebody to drink that when it's an appropriate temperature so they don't burn their mouths it's quick burning it's quick burning sugar it's adding heat so that's not taking any it's not taking any heat away to digest it's adding sugar quickly and then throw some granola on top of that once they can once they have enough um, wherewithal to chew also this is a good time to have um, dex4 tabs or glucose gel uh, again you want to be able to get calories into somebody so they can keep producing heat um, if you don't produce heat or if you don't have enough if you don't have enough energy you don't have enough gas in the tank you don't have enough calories on board you can't produce heat that's when people stop shivering uh when we start looking at you know the hypothermia wheel and how how quickly somebody goes from shivering and cold to unresponsive uh, that's where you know that that's the point where they don't have enough calories left to generate heat so that's what we want um i i was on a camping trip and cadbury cream eggs were so good for getting calories into us and just warming us up at night <laughs> seven, seven different kinds of sugar absolutely oh perfect yep. um i uh, i was running a medical team for wilderness like uh, adventure racing and uh one of the check stops we had a whole lot of very cold very wet people um and they really didn't realize, just going to your point about get them out of wet clothes, basically we were stripping people down to their underwear. We had a great big campfire going and everyone's inclination is to wrap the foil blanket around them. I'm like, nope, you're going to put that behind you as if you're tanning with the fire. Mm -hmm. And it makes such a huge difference because all that heat that sort of would pass them gets reflected onto their back. Yeah. Um, you know, so if, if they're not at the point where they're, incapacitated and in a burrito get them you know like you said naked or dry clothes as best you can and put the foil behind them you know so you got fire person warming up and the foil behind them yeah Refl reflect the heat back onto them it's uh yep. it's the old reflector oven we all made in scouts with the with the tin foil and the, and the coat hanger and you cut the hot dog on it exactly, <laughs> exactly. the same concept um don't cook your hot dog over a fire with a foil blanket behind you. Um, <laughs> um, some other things to add to your kit: make sure you have lots of wound closures. So, um, for for bigger wounds, if you if you want to uh, um, if you want to minimize the scarring, uh, butterfly butterfly dressings. Um, you can order sutures on Amazon. Um, surgical staplers. Yes. Uh, yes, it's doable. Um, again, <laughs> you know, even 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 um, medical medical glue. Um, all great things. They're all readily available if you if you look in the right place. 
just do yourself a favor and learn how to use them before you have to rely on it. Now, Ian, I noticed in the, in the show notes you were saying, can I use my surgical stapler? You can. Um, a surgical stapler takes up a lot more space than a suture kit or a pack of butterfly dressings or stereo strips. If yeah, you no. want to carry it, go for it. But it's uh, it's probably not the uh, probably not the ideal tool for carrying into the into the woods. Now, if you're putting it in your kit and you're going to be near a base camp near your truck, then that's you know totally different and you know whatever works for you. Um, I can I can carry a lot of stereo strips for the same size and space that I can carry a surgical stapler. I just laugh. It's like, how am I supposed to practice using that thing? It's like, <laughs> well, I mean, you've got all pockets, right? Well, that's exactly why I have one. It's just uh, in case there's a cougar attack, it's actually something I can yep. use for the alpacas to close it up. And uh, I haven't had to use it yet, but I'm just like, I'm kind of ruining the day I might have to. So, Well, next, when you when you uh, fill your tag for, well, I guess you don't have a tag, you don't have a limit on your uh, on your feral hogs, but, um, you know, once you've, once you've respectfully harvested that hog, you can... Um, you can use the you can use the outer tissue that would otherwise go to waste and practice on it if you really wanted to. It's true. Yeah, no, I, it's very interesting the fact that uh, yeah, there's there's more than one uses for that. But the butterfly strips is kind of our go-to for humans, I think. So yeah, generally generally speaking, I mean, I like stereo strips because they take up less space. Um, but I my my tendency would be to use um, use stereo strips, put a uh, put a nonstick dressing over it, put a bandage on that, and then if I'm in the woods, I'll probably throw duct tape on top of that to keep it um, keep it completely out uh, occluded. Uh, I like as long as you have one clean layer of uh, gauze, like sterile gauze, nonstick dressing, something like that. After yep. that, you can pile whatever you want on it to protect it. Yeah. So, general first aid principles, right? The the cleanest stuff, the closest to sterile, goes against goes against the open wound, and then we can build out from there. Um, anything that's sterile is something that's wrapped individually in paper. Anything that's clean is usually wrapped in bulk. Um, you want the sterile stuff that's right up against right up against the open wound, and then the cleaner stuff. Um, uh, the cleaner, the cleaner stuff on the next layer, and then you can start piling whatever you want on top of that. But um, one again, general point, and again, it's a general first aid item. Anytime you're doing something, if you're going to splint a dressing, or you're going to wrap a, you're going to wrap a wound, you're going to sorry, splint a limb or wrap a wound in, in something. Make sure you check circulation below the site of the injury before and after. So uh, with a leg or an arm, you do the nail bed test, or you pinch it. You, you, if you push down on your fingernail, you can see it kind of turn white and then go back to its normal color when you lift off. Do that before you bandage or splint. Make sure and, and observe the reaction, and do it again after you bandage the splint. You bandage or splint, and then observe the reaction. If it's too tight, you'll see that that response, that that returning to normal color. You'll see that go. That that'll slow right down, and eventually the fingertips will turn blue if you leave it long enough. Loosen it off and try again. That's that's a sign of poor circulation. We don't want that. We call it hypoperfusion, and it means that the the tissue below the the wound is not getting proper circulation. We don't want that. We're we're trying to minimize the problems, not compound them. Good and with tourniquets, bad with regular dressings. Yeah, 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 yeah. And I mean, we're <laughs> yes. Uh, somebody who's bleeding profusely or has an amputation, right? If, if the hand is no longer attached to the arm, you're probably not going to have very good circulation to it. <laughs> no, but no. for for the for the for the average minor wound, uh, where you where you're just putting a dressing on it and then or or you're or it's a. a a strain, a sprain, a fracture where you're splinting it, we want to make sure there's good circulation below. Uh, also with dislocations, uh, if you dislocate a joint, so the, the bones are at a joint, but in the process they're pinching off 
the blood supply downstream, that's a major, major problem that you have to get dealt with. So you have to sort of do a reduction and get the shoulder back in or elbow or whatever the, the issue is. And there, there are lots of techniques for that. There's a million YouTube videos about how to do that. Some are better than others. Um, generally speaking, you want to go away. You want, you want to remove, you want to relocate the joint by putting it, by going in the opposite direction of how it became dislocated. So with a, with a shoulder, for example, it tends to go either forward or backwards, depending on where the ligaments have been damaged. Um, you want to come out and then, you know, away from the body and then back in, as opposed to trying to, you know, roll it over the, roll it over the cartilage. But it, it's a, it's a bit of a practice technique and depending on which way it goes, there are a few different ways to do it. You can, you know, grab the guy's arm and put your foot in his armpit and pull or dangle something, dangle his, dangle his arm over a, over a ledge with a, with a weight to, to reduce it. There are a few different ways to do that. Um, full disclosure, I've never practiced any of them. Uh, the only time I ever saw a dislocation was at a volleyball tournament and it was a block and a half from an ambulance base. So we didn't bother doing anything except, you know, we gave him a pillow to hug and somebody had, somebody had already called 911. I would have just sent him in a car, but somebody else made that call, not me. Job scared. Yep, absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. I mean, I mean the, because that's a low priority. That's like six hours of holding the wall before you get uh, before you go back in service. This is a really high level overview, like a, a wilderness first aid class is in like sixty hours now. Um, so this is this does not take the place of actual training we're not giving proper advice we are definitely not giving medical <laughs> advice under no circumstances should this be taken as medical advice this is this is a guideline um this is an idea session and you should definitely receive proper training from an accredited provider um, if you would like proper training from an accredited provider please message me offline and i will be happy to uh, arrange for that but uh, this is not that um, another thing, just make sure that you're dealing with you're dealing with problems early, right? Uh, strains and sprains, for example, um, a minor a minor strain in your ankle because you missed a step while you were hiking uh, can turn into something more major if you don't deal with it right away. So the, the, the faster you deal with it, the better, the the less likely it is to turn into an emergency. Let's try and keep it keep it as an inconvenience instead. So um, that's about all I have. What uh, what do you want to add, Scott? Like, what, uh, what do you want to see when when you when you do finally need somebody to the road? Um, well, in terms of just general medical principles, we always go least invasive to most invasive, right? Your doctor's going to tell you about diet and exercise, and then physio, and then meds, and then surgery, and then amputation, right? You don't want to do them in the reverse order and start with the amputation. Uh, so. So, at, the, at, the same, at the same time, if you're bleeding, now's probably not the time to be discussing whether or not you should have um, alfalfa sprouts or... Uh, um, or, or omegas in your diet. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. Um, so when I think of wilderness first aid, and I mean, it's, it's been a while since I've done a proper wilderness first aid course. In addition to all those standard first aid considerations, there's a, some, just a bunch of other things you need to, to include, right? Keeping the patient warm, keep, keeping them fed, keeping them hydrated. You know, it, it's great where the 911 dispatcher tells you not to give them anything to eat or drink, but if you're a three-day canoe paddle from help, <laughs> you're, yeah. not, you're not doing your patient any good, right? Uh, you have to plan, you, you're 
plan on an extrication plan, you know, to have certain bailout points. You're in the middle of a provincial park, but you can get to the outfitters station that's kind of in the middle of the ranger station. Uh, you know, is that a better place to get help? Um, you know, you want to think about fixing things that are going to reduce long-term problems. You know, we were talking about shoulder dislocations is a perfect example. Um, and doing things that are going to help the patient be in a better position to help themselves, right? If you're, you know, your, your camping buddy is, you know, just one-armed and can't carry their backpack, but they're okay to walk otherwise, great. I don't have to carry him out. Yeah. <laughs> um, you know, so... There, there's a lot more considerations in wilderness first aid because uh, you as the, the sort of medical provider, uh, especially if they're incapacitated, you have to look after a bunch of their needs for the next two hours, four hours, two days, four days, who knows. Um, so though, yeah, there's a little bit more of a chess game to it where you have to think a few steps ahead. Um, well, and good planning always always trumps everything else. Absolutely. Um, you know, situational awareness. Know what's around you. Know what resources you have. Know, you know, okay, where can I go to get cell signal? Yep. Plan your route. Make sure, make sure you know how your, your, uh, your spot locator works or whatever it is that you're planning to use to communicate. Um, test that before you go. And, and this, you know, and the same basic principles of um, if you're going to be gone for a while, make sure that you have a check-in plan with somebody. And let they know where to start looking for you if you miss your check-in plan. So if you if you can check in at specific waypoints and you miss one, then you're advancing the last known point for people trying to come find you. So that if there are two of you and one of you can't move and the other one can't carry you, then even if you're just staying in, you're sheltering in place, you're staying there. They know people know to come find you, and people know where to start looking. Absolutely. I would, I would, you know, for for those of us in Ontario, Algonquin is a big park. If you go, if you, especially if you start in the back country, if you if you took off four days ago from the Outfitters, you could be you could be anywhere within, you know, four hundred four hundred square kilometers. And uh, I'll tell you, four hundred kilometers four hundred square kilometers is a lot of area to search. Uh, and if people don't know that you, people don't know to find you, then they don't know to go looking for you for a couple of days. It just compounds the problem. So a, a clear, a clear plan and a clear, uh, so a clear calm plan and a clear ex, uh, extrication plan from each one of those waypoints will be uh, will be critical for your success. Yep, absolutely. Um, and going back to the the whole concept of of training, you can only carry so much first aid gear, right? You know, uh, in terms of commentary in um, sort of what's important. Uh, yep, yeah, some of the, uh, you know, you got a, a bunch of different pills. They don't weigh much. They don't take up space. You got some sterile dressings. You got some tri triangular bandages. You got some duct tape. Um, and all the improvisation uh, is a lot of what a proper wilderness first aid course is. You know, so how to create that pole stretcher or a drag stretcher or, um, you know, how to use your canoe paddle for a, a splint, that kind of thing, uh, so that you don't have to carry all that stuff with you. You can kind of make it on the fly as needed. Um, in terms of um, my role as the ambulance meeting you guys, um, first thing anytime you call 911 is we have to know where to go. 
where to meet you, where the patient is. If we don't know where to bring the ambulance, we're not much good to you. Um, so knowing... Which, of course, has never stopped anyone from calling on one of the Oh, absolutely not. I'm uh, near Dave's house, and there's a blue car. And I'm on the highway. There's some trees. Uh, I'm at the place near the thing where that thing happened. You, you know. Yeah, that place. You know that place. This, um, this would be a good time to plug the maps.me offline GPS app that has downloadable mm. maps you can take with you before you go. Ooh, I, I, and also the What Three Words app. What Three Words is absolutely brilliant. Yep, oh, I never heard of that one. Okay, so what three words is an app that you can put on your phone, which you should definitely put on your phone, and when you uh, when when you pull up the map of where you are, and you can do it offline as well, it breaks down the entire world into three by three meter grid sections and assigns each of those sections a three word name, and it's uniform. So so I so you and I in two different parts of the world are looking at the same map we look at the same point we're going to see the same three words and then we've gone from looking in a 400 square kilometer area to three by three meters which is like 10 paces at the absolute most it's a it's a phenomenal it's a phenomenal tool to be able to communicate to the um to the outside world where you are it's called what three words three in the numeral yeah, yeah um, the word I, what the number three words Mine was called Maps.me, and it's Maps.me is another great yep. uh, is another great offline tool. And again, it gives you lots of um, lots of information. It none of that replaces paper maps. If you're going into the backwoods, you need a proper topographical map, and you need to be able to you need to be able to navigate with that map. And yes. this would be if you, if, if you can program. say. Yes, I am at campsite number 42 on Lake such and such. It makes it a whole lot easier to find you. Absolutely. Yep. Well, I'm actually glad you guys brought this up too because, uh, you know, we're talking about uh, topics last week there because, I mean, it's not just for doomstead end of the world stuff. It's actually like, you know, hunting applications, that thing we mentioned, camping, hiking, whatever. I mean, we're way beyond cut fingies at this point, but I mean, like your, your typical, you know, uh, once a year hunter shoots himself in the foot, literally. And, you know, you have to help your buddy get out because he's done something, you know, extraordinarily stupid. Um, yeah, this is where it all comes into play. So I'm glad you guys uh, brought all that stuff up for sure. Yeah. yeah. So it, 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 the priorities, the priorities still don't change, right? Um, the, we'll use the, we we'll use the, the SMARCH, um, uh, SMARCH acronym. So safety first, massive, massive trauma, massive hemorrhaging, airway, respirations, circulation, hypothermia. Uh, there's, st there's still our priorities. If we don't have if we don't have safety, we can't help somebody else. So your buddy that shot himself in the foot, first off, take his gun away, make it safe. <laughs> that's, that's, that's so, so so pull a Trudeau. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I mean, don't like take it away permanently. Just just relieve him of it that's until it. until Bad. he's no longer until he's no longer a threat to you. And I'm not worried, so it has it has to stay in a safe forever. Yeah. Um, massive. We're, we're dealing with massive trauma first. Um, if there's no massive hemorrhaging first, that if there's no massive hemorrhaging, it's something small, then we can then we can eliminate that. Airway, airway secure, respirations and circulation. If that's that that will usually be compromised with medical problems or um, hypothermia. So you can kind of bundle all those things in one, and then once that's dealt with, we're looking for the smaller stuff. 
Um, so your, your, your priorities don't change, it's just how we deal with them and mostly the evacuation portion of it. Um, but good bandaging techniques will keep, will keep a wound from getting infected. And that can also be the difference between you know, a well-stocked well kit with good, um, with good gauze and good bandages and good sutures it might make the difference between, ow, this kind of hurts, but I can carry on and we can finish our trip, or no, we need to turn back and go three days the other direction because my arm is, my arm is cut and dangly. Uh, that might that might wreck the trip. That, that definitely ruins. That definitely puts a puts a damper on it. Sure does. Um, I, I I'd enjoy it, but I think I'm the odd one out here. <laughs> I, it's, it's great if it's not me, you know. Yes, yes, exactly. Yeah. Yes. Uh, <laughs> I, I remember many years ago, I I, I stocked a I stocked a, um, a, a we'll loosely call it a trauma bag, but it was a it was a. a a rather large first aid kit that was intended for a few different levels of, of care. And I was performing some standby service and I was really, really excited when somebody said, Oh, there's a person over here with a head injury that needs our help. And I got really excited that I get to, I get to try my new bag. And then I stop and go, wait a second. No, I, I have to try it. Not I get to try it. Um, mm -hmm. But yeah, it, kind of the same thing that happens. So um, pre-planning is better than everything else. The better equipped you are, the better it's going to go for you. Definitely, if you're going to be out in the woods, take a wilderness first aid course. They do exist. Um, there are some that are even still running right now. Um, if you've got nothing else to do, you can you can uh, you can take a course. They, they also uh, tend to be time. really fun courses. Oh yeah! Every time every time I've taught it, I always uh, I've always um, taught with somebody else. But we go out, we find it, we find a campsite that we can go to. Uh, for the weekend, we get you know eight or ten people that want to that want to learn this, and we set up our camp and and we spend the, we spend you know four four nights camping, and the first night we just kind of we just kind of hang around and, and chat and get to know each other, and then we do like four days of of learning and practice, and we get to you know we bundle everybody up and build structures and all kinds of great things, and then it's a great camping trip and a bunch of like minded people, and then at the end we get to um, we get to break down camp and everybody gets their certificate. They're always great fun. Oh, you don't make them carry you back out to your car? <laughs> I make them carry my stuff. <laughs> I, don't, I don't trust anybody to carry me that far. Trained like you fight. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah. I also want to, yeah, I think you mentioned it quickly there, Al, too, but uh, same thing. Uh, if for some reason you feel you've spent enough money on first aid supplies, you could always spend money on one of those fancy dancy uh, locator beacons that has the text messaging capability via satellite. Yeah. Um, sure. And I may or may not have had a friend, trust me, it was a friend, mm -hmm. who uh, taped a cell phone to a drone, zoomed it straight up, way above the normal limits on a f relatively flat terrain area of the country, and was able to send a text message from way out in the bush because he got high <laughs> enough to get get in contact with the tower. So I, I was like, good test. I was yeah, like, that, well, that is, th think it outside the box. If you, have a, if you have a drone on you and a cell phone on you, just get high. Enough. <laughs> I mean, uh, the, the chances of me having a drone versus a spot beacon when I'm yeah. country camping are, you know, yeah. um, but it works for you. It works for you. So that's right. Yeah. Let's just think it outside the box for sure. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's oh, and I like that. And then the last uh, bit of inspiration, if anybody needs inspiration, hey, watch the movie The Edge with Alec Baldwin and Anthony Hopkins. It's like Wilderness First Aid 101. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> Yeah, there, there are a few. There are a few of them out there. Um, 
you know, you, you, when we when we we could do an entire show. Why haven't we done a show on survival movies? Oh, um, yeah, where did we start? Um, what was because the we're only with, 113 uh, episodes in. That's <laughs> 113 <laughs> episodes in. Um, what was the one with Tom Hanks and he he crashed on the island and he had the volleyball castaway. Castaway. Um, so, so Scott's point of <laughs> taking care of problems before they before they become um, before they become bad, right? He had a, he had an abscess tooth that was just absolutely mm -hmm. horrific for him. Deal with that stuff before you go into the woods. Yeah, good idea. <laughs> yeah, before you take a skate to your own tooth. Yeah, yep. yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, you know, deal with that deal with that stuff before before you go. Out. You know, if you've got if you need to rehab an ankle or or you know solve a shoulder problem before you go out, then um, do that. Uh, save yourself. Save yourself from you know. Turn turn a turn it into an inconvenience rather than an emergency. Mm -hmm. That makes That's sense. That's what I got. Cool. Yeah. So we do have one uh, one other message in the live chat here from a listener. You guys completely forgot one item: being a preparedness uh, related podcast. Tinfoil hat. <laughs> <laughs> it would keep you warm. Yeah. Yeah, it, it would definitely it would definitely help prevent uh, heat loss and evaporation. Yeah, so <laughs> thank thank you to Jeff for that uh, pointing out that Thanks glaring sure. error in the in the yeah. list of items that was missing. Yeah. Appreciate it. That's hundred percent correct. Can't, can't argue it. <laughs> uh, yeah. All right. Well, that's all. What I think that's it. The podcast challenge is what we got now. All right. So uh, for your podcast challenge this week. Uh, you know, take any first aid course that will work for your recreational setting or just everyday life. I mean, whether maybe standard first aid works for you, but wilderness first aid, maybe convince your boss to spring for a first aid course that might offset his requirements. Who knows? Uh, but it's just uh, try and take a first aid course, even with the COVID silliness. And if you're not sure what course to take, shoot me an email. I will gladly uh, help you with a needs assessment. There you that go. might be what I do for a living. Just maybe? Possibly? Possibly. <laughs> all right let's move in the upcoming events so we've got uh, can warn training i was talking about at the beginning of the show coming up on may the 4th uh, 2021 uh, it kicks off at 7 p.m it runs till 8 30 p.m uh, that is on zoom so uh, i put a link in the show notes there uh, it's you, uh, they're, is, they're it, is it capped or is it uh i don't know they don't say anything about capped yeah, I think it's just as many people as they can get. I didn't see anything about a cap. Well, you, uh, I see it's on Eventbrite. So does that mean they have yeah. to? Is it paid or is it free? Yeah, so it's free. Uh, that threw me off at first as well. They're doing Eventbrite, I guess, just as their way of organizing who's coming. Uh, but the ticket's free, so there's there's no cost okay. to do it, and it's an hour and change. So I will be on there. Like, yeah, I'm gonna be the dumb question guy for sure. <laughs> That's, what you That's do not. Yeah, every class needs one, man. Yeah, every class needs one. Okay, so the course now runs from seven p.m. till about ten thirty. <laughs> well, what if no? <laughs> uh, so for book club before the end of May, uh, we're going to be looking at one second after. Uh, it's a lovely, scary piece of fiction by uh, William R. Fortune. Uh, so it was my recommendation because it's one of the scariest things, uh, you're ever going to read. And if you haven't read it, can you really consider yourself a prepper? It's <laughs> exactly. question. It's kind of like a rite of passage, isn't it? <laughs> uh, we do Everything else is canceled. Thanks. 
Thanks, Uncle Doug. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that was a very polite way of putting what's actually in the show notes. Yeah. Well, yeah. I think we've done, we've done enough to piss off the overlords this episode. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, I said that. There is a question in regards to the Canworn uh, course in the live chat here. Just asking if you have to be a ham uh, radio operator in order to take the course. I do not see that listed as a prereq anywhere. And are they so, going to really be checking qualifications at this point? They have not yet asked me for a call sign, and I have a ticket to attend. So well, I'm going to go with no. And if the answer later on turns out to be yes, well, I can fill you in after. <laughs> All right. And then, so episode 115 will be, uh, or 117 will be Eric's, Eric's review of the Canmore training. Well, it was Jeff that was asking, so he can just come over for some essential beers and I'll answer it for him in person. <laughs> stay at home order. Hey, hey, essential, essential. It'll be after, after the stay at home order. Come on, calm down. Do you think there's going to be an after this order? Uh, hey, you know, I hope so. I hope so. The light at the end of the tunnel is either the light <laughs> yeah, exactly. or the train. It's over either way. <laughs> yeah. That's right. It's a very good point. Yeah. Jeez. Oh, yeah, it's been great being on YouTube and Facebook. Like I said at the beginning, everybody can catch us on the dark net next week. Yeah. Be good. I'll try to figure out a way to get the link to you. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> All right, right, deal of the week. I got. Uh, I managed to find ammo cans. Now, what prepper doesn't like Ooh. ammo cans? So oh, they are the well. poly ammo cans, which are, are like ammo cans. Yeah, well, they are multiple use. Like you can even make little power stations for your ham radio with them, um, uh-huh. and or store garden seeds or anything else you want to put in them. But the poly ones that don't rust, fifty percent off at Princess mm-hmm. Auto. So like four dollars a piece or seven dollars a piece, which is roughly what I got them for in the states back in the good old days when you can cross the border. Um, yeah, you'll never find it cheaper in Canada than that. So give them a give them a look. Well, then. awesome. I think I'm going to order a few. I think I'm going to have to do the same. Yeah. <laughs> Shout outs. Anybody yeah, else? Okay, uh, I got a couple. Uh, so for one, Diane from Radio World. So I ordered my first, uh, you know, big boy antenna from uh, Radio World instead of the usual uh, AliExpress knockoffs. Mm-hmm. And uh, I swear to God, I put the order in, and within 15 minutes, she had me a tracking number. And it wasn't just like generated from her computer; she actually had already dropped it off at the post office. Wow. I was like, yeah, I found them so good. For that. Wow! Wow! Yeah. I was they, like, oh, when they've got it in stock, they're fantastic. Yep. Yeah, and she must be literally right beside it or something. Anyway, so I actually sent her an email. I was like, wow, that was like ludicrously fast. She was like, yeah, I was on my way anyway. So I told her to give her a shout out and uh, nice. yeah, super customer service anyway. Yep. Anytime then, I've dealt with her, she's been awesome as well. Also, for my sister in law who gave me this awesome t shirt today that says, this is not a drill. <laughs> I don't know if you can see that or not, but yep. I thought it was pretty awesome. So anyway. You, you, you are required to wear that any time that you are meeting any of your daughter's friends. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Oh, man. Uh, I'm going to give a shout out to my electrician, Rob. He was the one that suggested the uh, Generlink as a very elegant way of hooking my generator into my house. So uh, he did that, got it installed for me. So kudos to him. Nice. Fantastic. Should we move into email and iTunes reviews? We got an email from John. And John says, I'm enjoying the book club. I like the variety of fiction and nonfiction on the subject of preparedness. Please keep it going. Probably without it, I wouldn't read as much. Book club gives me a goal to finish. All right. That's that's all the inspiration we need. Yep. Sounds good. Carry it on. 
that's with that, on, on the list. Yep. That's it. Yep. <laughs> with that, I will bring episode 113 of the Canadian Prepper Podcast to an end. You can find the podcast on iTunes, Podbean, Spotify, or of course your favorite podcast app. Please help us out, submit a review. It helps other people find us. We do record these shows live on YouTube and sometimes Facebook. If you want an early peek at the show, please subscribe to the YouTube channel, Canadian Prepper Podcast, and click the notifications tab. That will give you an alert when we are going live. To find me directly, shoot me an email at alan, that's with one L, at proper, prepperpodcast.ca. I swear I'm not drunk. <laughs> uh, easiest way to find Scott is at feedback at prepperpodcast.ca. And these guys can track me down. Yep, we'll find you. you. Yep. Uh, you can reach Ian directly by emailing me at theislandretreat at gmail.com and on Gab at the Island Retreat. And in the group Self-Reliance and Homestead in Canada, which had a 20% increase in uh, membership, now we're up to six people. Ooh. <laughs> <Hey>. <laughs> you, can, uh, you can also find my Canadian Patreon podcast on iTunes and YouTube on Monday nights. There you can find us discussing why government waste in society has me heading into the wilderness, but hoping I don't get hurt while there. <laughs> All right. You can check out uh, Rapid Survival at rapidsurvival.com and get me there on the live chat. You can also email me at feedback at prepperpodcast.ca. So uh, thanks for joining us this evening. Until next time, be prepared, stay safe, and keep learning. <laughs>